Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. This podcast is focused on helping you be more successful overcoming the sales complexity inside your company so that your salespeople can be more effective in the market. If you're an enablement leader looking to elevate your function, expand your sphere of influence, and increase your impact with customers, you're in the right spot. And as you guys know, we usually start with a framing story, and I'm going to do it this time, Scott. Do you know Filippo Brunelleschi? Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't ask it. I shouldn't ask an Italian if you know. All right. So 15th century, what, what do you know about him? Well, this is your 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 framing story, but uh, he's he built the Dumo, the dome in uh, Firenze in Florence. That's right, and it was the first major dome built since the decline of the Roman Empire. That's right. He also rediscovered the laws of perspective, and that helped him build the dome. Those those laws have actually been lost for hundreds of years, but he figured out a mathematical approach to prove how forms and spaces actually shrink over time. So that's probably another reason why you know him, because I know you like math. Mm, math. Mm. <laughs> his, work, his work led to this guy, Alberti, discovering the first theory of linear perspective. But that led, Alberti led to Da Vinci. And Da Vinci equals Mona Lisa. So those, those aspects of perspective are important. So I'm resisting the urge to geek out about Renaissance Italian history. Really, really, really resisting the urge. But I think the real point is, what the hell does that have anything to do with sales enablement? Good question. Well, um, in my view, especially since that time, everybody's, there's been a lot of actually advances in using different mechanisms math, et cetera, to aid in the recording of reality, of moving a three-dimensional world into a two-dimensional space. Some use math, some use machines, some thought that they were artists, others were scientific. But that simple concept of, you know, translating reality of what you see onto a flat picture plane is challenging. And I often feel like that with sales. Sales is multidimensional and sometimes it gets into a two-dimensional space and we can lose perspective and we can lose what reality is. And that's why that's important to sales enablement because you and I, Scott, actually just went through what I would consider to be the most comprehensive and expansive research project on the sales enablement space. If you look at it, we gathered inputs from hundreds of people through the open-ended survey. You interviewed 40 people. I interviewed 10 or so, 15 or so. We conducted six panel dots dive deep dive panels with 18 experts and we talked to many CEOs and we're here on the dawn of the webinar that's coming up where, where you're going to share the perspective of all that and what you've learned and what the key executable insights are. So when you look at how that went through, I thought it'd be good to 
take a pause here and talk about the approach that we took and also bring on somebody to help us do that. So I actually have a, a special guest with us here, Eric Sterrett. Hey, Eric. Hey, guys. Dr. Lambert, Santucci, how you doing? Honored and humbled to be here with you as an insider. I'll tell you this, man, this series has been amazing, groundbreaking, and it's spun me in circles I didn't see coming. Thank you so much for investing the time to do this. For those of you who don't know, Eric is the only person that's ever worn my lab coat. <laughs> that's right. I thought that, thought that was between you and I, Scott. <laughs> well, there are some pictures. Oh my goodness! That, that's that's a San Antonio Sales Enablement Society conference story. So for those of you who are in the Sales Enablement Society, ask him. And also, I'm I'm very grateful for you to be on here. You're a chapter leader for Atlanta, right? Yes, proud to be so. Thank you, sir. What we're doing here is uh, is talking about our panel, and I'm very curious, Eric, about what it is that you found so intriguing about it? Well, I'll tell you what, it's from the organic get-go, the sheer fact that you were bold enough to put together a survey that wasn't a circle the number. First of all, I had to actually stop what I was doing during the day when I received it and think. And I love when something challenges me to stop and think. And in fact, it spun me so hard on some of them. I was like, hey, Scott, I'm going to need some more time on some of this stuff because sales enablement is so important to me. And you know my backstory, and we'll probably get to that in a little bit about how my identity and sales enablement have merged. But what you all are doing in this series of throwing out crazy, dangerous, really, open-ended questions that could open up to anything the current state of sales enablement and then the way that you've actually synthesized the responses into something that can be consumed, which, by the way, is a big whale to eat. But I love how you've done the little things, like you've created a landing page that breaks down how all of this evolved from the first series of, I think it was, five different podcasts, where kind of these questions started coming up at the beginning of COVID when you did the COVID uh, panel. And you started to go, well, hey, there's something here. Let's go ahead and put a stake in the ground and look at the state of sales enablement. Then you throw out a survey with wide open questions. And so the way that you approach that is to turn around with a series of panels of like-minded folks looking at it from six different angles so far. And I hope and pray that there are more different angles to come from because every new panel is sharing more insights and new synthesis that I didn't see coming especially from something that wasn't ranked. And, and when there's not a metric associated with it, I was a little wondering how you were going to bring this all together. And I can't wait to hear what you guys do on the 19th, by the way. So um, Insider Nation, oh! Eric Starrett, he's a, he's a connector. And as you guys can tell from his energy, uh, he, he creates a spark anywhere he goes. So I met him actually about a year ago. Um, we're almost at our one-year anniversary of the uh, yes, podcast. Sir. And, uh, and also meeting you because the podcast just come out, you ping me on LinkedIn and you're like, Hey, um, this podcast is cool. And I'm in Atlanta. And I said, Hey, I'm actually going to be there next week. I had, I had a sales call and I was coming down. So uh, you and I, uh, connected and you have, you had a top golf membership. And so mm -hmm. we hung out at top golf and, uh, I think we, we waxed poetic about sales enablement for like four hours or something. Yep. It was like half the day. It was awesome. 
So fast forward eight months, you're now, as Scott said, the Atlanta chapter leader, and also you're here. Um, I invited you on because you kept pinging me, and, and it sounds like you're talking to Scott as well through LinkedIn and when it first started about this process we're following. And I thought it would just be great to get you on and unpack what we did so that we can, one, document it, two, hear what, what it meant to you, but also, three, make improvements going forward. One of the things that we did to try to help with that, because we knew volume-wise from, from the end, you know, beginning, we, we were just following the process. It's not like it, we knew exactly how many people would volunteer to help us, things like that. But mm-hmm. as we were going through this, we started documenting um, what was going on and through the website, right? So when you go to insidese.com, that we, put the, we put the method up there. And we were actually updating that almost daily. So that, that's a call to action to everyone listening to this. Start with the results on the side, the, the, the methodology, the approach. I love, as you all do on an ongoing basis in your podcast, you do such a good job of not just posting a podcast, but providing a little bit of a backstory and as well, some additional follow-up on what happened, some, some notes on what happened during the individual podcast. But y'all took it up a notch on this one. In fact, that's part of the reason I love being on this call is when you go to the research, I think it's insidese.org or .com forward slash research, that in fact, you find the entire backstory, which was fascinating to me, including words like, uh, ethnographic research and phenomenological, <laughs> which were not in my vocabulary. Mine either. But, yeah, yeah. And I heard that on the on the call. I loved it. I'm like, oh my goodness, thank goodness. I, I, I'm not alone in the phenomenological and ethnographic not being part of my vocabulary. But the fact is that between the two of you, you both leveraged your gifts to invest. And not only an amazing approach, but you've documented every single piece of it and the background of it and the fact that it's not funded by any one organization. These are real people showing up, taking time out of their day, hitting pause like I did and going, holy crap, this is some really thought provoking stuff. And that is what creates a synthesized, thoughtful state of sales enablement result. And again, I can't wait to hear what y'all come up with. And I love how you've documented it all. And I suggest anyone, again, sorry, guys, but it is like eating a whale, the amazing amount of content that you've been able to produce. But the fact of the matter is you thought about that and you thought about your your customer. You thought about me. You thought about Insider Nation and those that are just showing up for the first time. And you documented all of that so well on the website. To anyone listening, if this happens to be your first podcast in this series, please go look at that site. And I guarantee you hours and hours of thoughtful conversation, great questions, great interactions from six to 12 different angles. And I believe there are more to come. Questions from you, Eric. Um, this this show is really, I want you to, to fire away. You said you had some questions and I thought that would be one of the best ways to really pull it out of our heads, right? We're pretty close to it. The webinar is coming up in a couple of days. What questions do you have? Well, for me, I'd start with, I'd love a deeper peek behind the curtain, guys. I mean, I've read the website, but how did you come up with this thing? 
Like, I understand it came organically out of that first series on COVID, but it seems like such a great amount of thought was put into the survey, the different, I think you've had six different panels at this point that have kind of chimed in. I'd love to get that inside the insider nation behind the curtain look at how you pulled this off. What's going on? How's the sausage being made? What do you find it without giving away the stuff on the 19th? But tell me how this all came together for me and my peers, please. Well, what do you think, Scott? Should we maybe, I mean, we can take a kind of a, a series, you know, date driven how approach, but I think it's probably better to start with uh, the outcomes or the goals uh, around it, or, or maybe even. Well, I know, think let's, let's, start with the, let's start with the survey itself. So, yeah, okay. It, Eric, how it started is in the COVID series. Um, and if you go back and people can go back and listen to it, uh, you guys know what episode number it is? It's part two. But in our, in our COVID series, which actually was Dr. Howard Dover's idea, um, I was talking to him to try to figure out what was going on. I said, well, let's, he said, somebody should be talking about this. And I said, well, let's have a panel. Um, so we were able to get um, uh, Kunal from uh, TCV, an executive from TCV, Lindsay, who's a salesperson from, uh, uh, from Microsoft. And frankly, I think it's funny that we had her on to keep us honest, but um, you know, that's a joke only I appreciate, I think. And, uh, and, and Dr. Dover, and we were talking about, here are the facts of what we know today, based on what we know, how can we use that to predict or uh, anticipate what actions were, uh, what actions would be taken? Because of course, my biggest concern was, what's COVID gonna do to the state of the sales and A1 profession? And um, um, Kunal made a comment. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with how uh, private equity thinks, made a comment that was disconcerting. And really the comment had, I, I wish I had the quotes. I think Brian, maybe we should pull out that exact moment in time. But um, the, the quotes were how they expect to see a sales enablement role stitched together uh, resources across the organization so that they, that they, they can convert, in, convert into value. And they don't see any of their companies doing that. And to me, that's a, a big red flag about, um, what I think sales enablement is and what, what a, the advantage of being strategic about it. So that was really the motivation of why I wanted to create, uh, create a survey. Is that helpful? Is this the kind of stuff that you're looking for, Eric? Or, cause I can go through point by point by point, but. It is. It's super helpful and it's to get to an end. So I have some questions on why you didn't do what you didn't do. So as a, for instance, I didn't hear really, I'd love to hear the chief marketing officer's view. I think it was four or the fourth or fifth panel where someone called out, well, pretty much sales enablement's going to get gobbled up by the chief marketing officer, right? And I thought that was a pretty good point that there was not yet a panel on that. It sounds like you might have it in the works but maybe a little bit of a peek behind the curtain on some of the folks you haven't yet talked to. And okay, so there's, um, there's talk to and then there's panels. So 
I think we got to go back to the the methodology and sorry to be pretty methodical here, but I'm a methodical Love it. kind of guy. That's um, why I'm asking the question, Scott. Thank you. So the, the first thing was, so what was the inspiration? So then the next thing is before you do a survey, at least how I've learned, um, before you do a survey, figure out what's the question you're asking. Okay. And I'm, and I'm a big fan of having the least amount of questions possible mm. and not designing a survey that's, that's, that's too much. So when I was putting that together, my first draft was, well, this is all stuff that I want to know. And if I ask these mm. questions, then I'm assuming my definition is, my definitions are correct. And if there's one thing I know for sure is no one's got the same definition of anything in the space. So that drew me more to open-ended questions. So I said, all right, I know from experience, it's really hard to get people to respond to open-ended questions. So I said, if we get 25 responses, that would be great. Let's design this that, that in a way that would be most insightful. So we use the, the, the idea of business within a business as a construct. Why is that a construct? Because if you're running sales enablement strategically, you're orchestrating resources across the board. And that's really what a business is designed to do is to mm -hmm. convert shareholder, shareholder money, do good stuff to it, make value for customers, and then everybody's happy. That's theoretically what a business should be. So organize the survey that way. So the goal was to get 25 responses and then we got the responses back and in one week we got 70. And I don't know, so because you completed the survey, you got to get the responses. It was an overwhelming amount of information, wasn't it, Eric? It, it was, and that's part of the reason I, I love that I'm the insider y'all chose to get to come and ask some of these questions and it's really helping. So, in that, uh, in, that, uh, in that survey, when it, you're getting them back and you're reading them, and like, oh my God, we've got 20, we've got 50, mm. we got so many. Part of the, there were two things that were going on in my head, right? Thing number one was, this is a lot of analysis to do. And the second thing is if I do it myself, I'm just putting my own bias onto it. So what I did is I drafted up um, a program that I called a guest analyst program. So one of the things that I know, I'm a, uh, this isn't pro-Trump or not pro-Trump. I'm, I'm not making that delineation. But one thing I agree with them on is fake news. I think we have a lot of mm. fake news. And I think we have a tremendous amount of fake news in sales enabling and sales regardless. Mm. Uh, so one of the things that um, I learned at Forrester or, or that we have Forrester is we do our own analysis uh, as Forrester analysts. And I said, you know, this is an opportunity to break the mold on that. What if we deputize, you know, for lack of a better word, a whole mm. bunch of experts out there? And what if instead of having our viewpoint confined by the politics that exist within my company at Forrester or the politics that exist within Gartner, because there's a lot of politics in those that actually do shape what the research is, we are free from any politics. So let's uh, embrace that. And I'm thinking, what if I were able to get 20 people that I know from all angles of sales enablement? So the design point of the, the survey was to get what sales enablement people think. Then the idea of the, the guest analyst program is to get people who aren't sales enablement people think of this, uh, of this study. So I drafted, uh, I think it's two, two or three pages. Brian helped me, um, help, helped me draft it. 
and outlined what our program was going to be, the guest analyst program. So how do you give people context about what they're participating in? Uh, what's the ask of them? Uh, how you're actually going to schedule? How do you schedule 20 interviews, for example, when everybody's so busy? Uh, we set the idea of we're going to have panels and we're going to do this all in a, a six-week period of time. How do you schedule that? How do you get it going? So we, we gave representatives. Also, how do you describe what a panel is before you actually do one? So we wrote all those things up and we said our goal is to do three of them because it's, it's pretty aggressive to try to do, do these. And I said, mm. we're, here's a list of types of panels that we'd want to do. So I think my list of representative had 12 that we'd love to mm -hmm. do. Uh, I'd love to do a CFO only panel. We got pretty mm. close to getting a CEO panel of the vendors in this space. Mm. Could you imagine how cool that'd be? Maybe we can still. Oh, I'd love it. Um, Don't so give up. Don't give up. Fight for that one. All of those. Those are great. Yep. But it's, it's just sort of the timeline because you have to have time to do the, do the podcasts. You got to do the interviews uh, for everybody. So the whole process was there was a there was a step between the survey and the panels, and what that step was was interviews. So uh, I interviewed. So what the the interview process was? I sent that note out. Uh, um, I only got three to four declines. Um, two of them were VCs who don't cover the space anymore. Hmm. Um, one of them was uh, Marvin Spears, who's a, a, a who runs sales enablement strategy and operations at Wells Fargo. So you can probably imagine that they were a little busy and then mm -hmm. um, somebody else. Uh, so I was really delighted that, that, you know, people took me up on the offer and um, instead of having 20 guest analysts, uh, I did 43 interviews. And wow. what I had to do for each one is write an outline, you know, an outline of what we're going to cover. I sent them the, the sample, the same set of data that you looked at. I sent them that. We scheduled the time to talk. I asked them beforehand to read the information. Uh, I, did, did, I did those interviews. I asked them all the same set of questions. I didn't share much what I thought, just asked them what they thought and wrote down all the notes. Uh, so that was the interview process. So can I uh, just recap real quick what I heard? Sure. Just to make sure our listeners are in the, the, the same and they're tracking, right? Because there's there's a how piece of this that we're outlining, which I think helps provide a, a frame of reference, like a scaffold. And then Eric's asking questions, it seems, uh, perhaps in, into each area. So first thing you did, Scott, was, you know, what's the, the catalyst for this? It's the COVID part two, and it's at 16 minutes in uh, on that. So that's the time hack of when that, that Kunal comment was made, is it 16 minutes of part two? So that was a, you know, spider senses went off because you understand how VCs think. Um, and, you, and, and, and was that that kick in the pants, so to speak, around, oh my gosh, or, or like, holy cow? Like, what was that? What was that? You didn't explain it. You just said you knew how that they think. So that, that's where we'll come back to is, mm -hmm. is that moment and why that was so important to maybe do the further research. But from there, you you said, "Look, I've got a. I'm going to do some research in sales enablement. We're gonna we're gonna talk about sales enablement. We're gonna come up with research questions." And you went through the process of it's not going to be a, a quantitative, is my translation to that. You know, you're not going to circle on a one to five. You're going to use open ended. 
you're going to put the, the survey out and, and try to get 25 people. We ended up with 70 and eventually 100. But then you, based on that open-ended data that was collected, you, you did interviews, 43 interviews, and we did six panel, we're calling them panel podcasts, which everybody can listen to. And then from the panel podcast, we had um, some reports that we wrote up, some uh, LinkedIn blogs, and then on Tuesday, that's all coming together into one one-hour session. So all those touch points come into one thing called the webinar Tuesday. So that's the, that's the flow of this, right? So that's the, the mechanics of it, right? So going back, now that we've 3D printed that, so to speak, we've run through end to end on the, 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 the procedure. Let's go back to part one. Why was it so important? What, what is it that Kunal said that made, made it you, you uh, take that, holy cow, I gotta, we got to do some research and, and state of sales enablement because of that? Well, I think what it comes down to is, um, geez, when we founded the Sales Enablement Society, and you can go read the, the letter to members that I wrote in 2017, I think. One of the goals is how do we elevate the profession? And there's literally a description about what that role should be. And that role should be uh, to be, the, be a resource to help drive overall sales productivity. When Kunal described what they were looking for, stitching together things for better results, I was like, that's literally exactly what the society was chartered to go do. And the fact that they had no example of anybody doing it is kind of a big red flag to me. Um, there's a clear definition of what it is if you just remember it and stay focused on it. And the, the gap, the delta of what the business problem is, and they're highlighting their, um, their investors are frustrated with all of the portfolio companies because they're not doing this thing couldn't be more of a proof positive of what the business benefit of sales enablement is. So I'm wondering what the heck are we doing as a profession? Mm. If we have that business opportunity, super clear, I just snapped like, my gosh, it, these yeah. guys are screaming for somebody to step up and play the role that we highlighted out. Why aren't people stepping up and doing it? So, hey, Scott, if, if you don't mind, I'd love to jump in and yeah. get inside your head for a second. Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm really asking is why? Like, as you're thinking through this process and you, you and Brian have come together and you're like, we're going to do this thing. We've got this catalyst that came out of this COVID series. For instance, why did you choose those six panels that I've listened to over the last month or so? Well, so those... I think what, what's important here is this evolved. I think the question you should ask is, what did I, why did I, did I wait and have all of this planned out before I started? No, did not wait. I came up with a vision and I did. And I did and then I reevaluated each stitch, each step along the way and added more things to it to make it more clear. So the six panels that we had were not, were not um, designed specifically. They were a byproduct of following a process. And, and again, my apologies, because I'm so far from being good at doing this sort of thing. And that's part of the reason I'm so amazed. When you say following a process, that framework is one of those two big fancy words being 
phenomenological and ethnographic? <laughs> well, or, I, uh, honestly, I don't know those. I didn't know those words. So oh, okay, fair you're, enough. But you're I'm referring Dr. Brian to the words that I learned so I following the process, right? So I think okay. that the, the issue here is this: if 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 we were to make it really simple and and research to be accessible for everybody, in my opinion, the art of research is asking a good question. And spending the time to get a good question. And I think anybody in sales enablement, they spend time, can ask a good question. Then the next step is, how do I make sure it's not my opinion? That's the answer. Because no one cares about my opinion. Um, No one cares about your Mm. opinion. What they care about is what's the right answer, Mm. not what you think the right answer is. So if you go step number one, ask a question, then step number two is, what is a process that I could follow at a, at a, I wouldn't, this is the, the problem with the word process. What phases can I go through to make sure that I challenge my bias rather than okay. step one, I do this and I follow these tasks. Step two, I do that. It's always checking, am I asking the right question? And then am I eliminating bias? So the first thing is ask a question do a survey to get other people's feedback. And I did it in open-ended format so that I would get more data points. I think that's really mm. what I, I know we want to talk about the panels because you got to hear them, but there's many, many things that happened before the panels to begin with. Okay. Okay. So fair? if I may, it, yeah. it is. So let me go high level and I'm no PMP. I'll, I'll preempt it with that. But let, let me be super simple. Did you have a project plan? No. Interesting. So to me, that's really interesting because again, the website's so phenomenal. It looks as if you followed a methodology and you're saying you just went ready, fire, aim, let's do this. No, I didn't. I didn't say that either. Uh, um, Okay. I did follow methodology. I didn't follow PMP. I think PMP gets you into boxes. If you were to follow, but I just a, meant project plan. I, I said I'm no PMP. I'm not trying to. Okay, or a project project plan. plan. It, it, they're still okay. too rigid. Um, mm. it's, there is a mm. process. Uh, it's a process more like making a movie than it is mm. a process like I'm going to follow a business process. So it, it, when you make a movie, you say, "All right, do we have a script? Do we have a general idea of what we're doing?" They start filming before they have all the script written. Mm. So you Love have it. to take action in a, in, a, in a state of mind like that. So the first thing is do the work to figure out step one, what's my first thing, then say what my goals are and everything that I do, every stage I do, I have measurable goals for. Um, I freak a lot of people out about it because I always raise them. <laughs> um, but I, so I said, okay, I'm going to do a, I'm going to serve survey. I wrote it. I wrote a few versions of it. Uh, and then I said, I want 25 answers. I want 25 responses. Then uh, by Tuesday, I said, nope, I want 50 now. And then, um, you know, by the end of the week, in one week, we got 70 responses. Uh, if you yeah, know anything about tracking, responses, it's a yeah. huge turnaround. And it's um, expensive to, you know, get that kind of resource. Mm. But I just fielded it on LinkedIn. And then the other thing that I learned was... Uh, yeah, how you engage people to get curious to take it. So it was how I messaged. Love that word. Yeah, and meanwhile, he's tracking all this. So he's like, hey, Brian, <laughs> we need more people <laughs> because he's goal-focused, right. right? 
And I was like, well, I thought we already had enough. No, we raised it again. I'm like, okay, I can, I can see that this would be valuable to our, our insider nation to have more respondents. I'm down for that, mm. right? Instead of we've achieved some sort of goal. It, um, so we would have conversations about like, yeah, that, that might be a little bit more work for us, but what's valuable to our listeners. Yeah. The second yeah. thing is to the question around like, where did the website come from? It's one of those things where like Scott's like, I'm getting a bunch of questions around what we're doing. And, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe we send emails to people. And he's like, yeah, that's not very user-friendly. Maybe we can build a website. And th- that was it. That was basically it. That was, that's where, if it was like line 12 on the project plan, build a website, you know, there was no project plan. But my point is that's the genesis of this. And I'm like, well, what's the goal of it? Instead of saying, what should it look like? What's the goal of it? He's like, mm. transparency. Okay. That, that, that's, that's where it came from. So what I'm hearing is I'm watching a plane land on a 19 that when it took off was maybe a bucket with four wheels and a couple flaps. So you literally built this plane in the air. We didn't even. With a goal. I I would say that uh, we had a vehicle. I wouldn't even know whether it was a plane or a car. (laughs) I love it. Or whatever. And we built it and we kept changing the destination. Um, How many passengers are involved in it, et cetera. Um, totally. We're still building the, the findings presentation right now, two days mm. before. Yeah. And this is, this is going to help us. Um, you know, th- there's an idea too around this around, um, because the communications need to be tight and we need to be simple. A lot of what we do is try to get, you know, practice and the leverage. So instead of us having a meeting, uh, we'll like, let's do a podcast. That's what this is. Mm. So this is this is helping uh, Scott with his messaging around what's the methodology. It's helping our listeners understand, I think, I hope, what what we're doing, and then it's helping you, Eric, close the switch. So that's yeah, yeah. That's leverage. And and I want to give you more um, context. I still want to answer your questions about the panels, hmm. but we have to go into. So this was the goal with the survey. This was the design. I think it's interesting when you get, when you expect 25 responses and you get 70 in a week. Mm. Uh, the quality of the people who responded were also high caliber. And you can tell if you look at the responses, people put a lot of time and an effort into it. So I'm like, wow, we got a much higher turnout uh, of, our, of our responses from open-ended survey than I thought. The second thing is people put time into it. So I appreciate that. Um, I don't know what that means yet. I'm not really interested in evaluating that at this moment. I'll have to go back and do that and evaluate it later. But the second thing is, how are we going to evaluate it? So we got way more, almost three, 300% over quota of what we thought we were going to do. It's like, well, we need to expand what we're doing here. Instead of just making this a podcast, let's do something bigger. So that was the idea of the executive uh, of the analyst program. The webinar only came out after we'd done two or three panels. There was never an idea for it, but I said, you know, if I don't set a date for a forcing function to to do something, this will go on forever. I need Mm. need a date. So I set the date, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. It was about three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't, you just threw it out there and said, we're doing it. There wasn't even an agenda on the website and we got nope. 
30 people that RSVP. Mm. Yeah. So we just said, this is what we're going to do. We're put the, the, the stake in the ground. May 19th, 11 o'clock AM Tuesday, just decided to do it. And I scheduled that. Um, Love it. And so that was the end state. And now the, now the question is, so how many podcasts are we going to do before then? Uh, and then also we're still sort sort of scheduling interviews. So the other point is, you're saying who we didn't get input in. I want to say that we did get input. I have, I interviewed four, the, the, the CEOs of the four biggest sales enablement uh, comp, uh, vendors, Seismic, mm. Showpad, MindTickle, and um, did I say Showpad already? Saleshood. No, High Spot. Yeah, High okay. Spot. Uh, I interviewed authors. So Eli's, uh, Eli's really great and really helpful uh, for us. It's just hard to categorize him. Is he a CEO? Is he an author? Is he a former, yes, yes. Um, is he a former uh, practitioner? He's all of yes. those. So I think Eli gets his own distinction in, in, the, in the story, but he's always been very helpful for me. So um, you know, he's somebody that we interviewed. I interviewed uh, some practitioners. I interviewed some salespeople. I interviewed a lot of marketers. I think that um, in my observation, uh, the sales enablement community, at least the one that I'm most associated with in the sales enablement society has not been as in inclusive of marketers as it could be. So hmm. I've reached out to marketers to get their perspectives. Uh, I've obviously, we uh, interviewed uh, professors. I interviewed business consultants. So a big call out to SBI. Uh, I think it's remarkable that SBI, because I reached out to several, uh, a few um, uh, consultants, but to, for SBI to you know participate and spend some research and uh, tell me what they're seeing too, is really mm. you know is really a big deal. We had Soar Consulting on, and uh, actually <laughs> that went so well he took over our show. Um, uh, so we interviewed a lot of people. Forty three is a lot, uh, and I'll mm. tell you. Um, some of the things that you, you, you learn about is you have to be open-minded in these things and not so laser focused. Cause I was um, I had six interviews one day. Uh, I can't remember exactly what that day was. And I had this weird feeling in, in my stuff. My, my, my question that I was focused on is where sales and a one heading. I think that's the wrong question. Hmm. And where I got there was, I just got this feeling after interviewing people, everybody's viewpoint is all over the place. Uh, there's no real consensus about what it is. Uh, there's just a lot of disagreement. Uh, we could talk about definitions. We could talk about whether it's, whether it's clear. And I, I woke up one morning and I just had this feeling of, it's a platypus. Sales enablement, it's a platypus. Is it, um, Eric, is it a profession? You know, I love the platypus thing. It, it, it is a noun. It's a thing. It's a thing. Or it might be a business within a business, Scott Santucci. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. But what is it? Is this, is this a, um, a market? Is it a market? Right. Is it uh, an idea? Is it just hype? What is this thing? And it I is, realized it is a necessity. I know that much. And you guys keep reinvigorating that fact. Well, uh, well, what is a necessity though? Is doing stuff randomly the, to help sales a thing the, that's needed? The function, 
if I may, the function of someone who has the skill set to have a cross-functional view and the seat at the table of credibility in order to get everyone together with a client in mind through sales, which drives the business, is an absolute necessity. It may be called sales enablement, but there is a role that needs to break down those silos and y'all are championing it. So we'll see, like, uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm trying to give you the insight on the interview. So this is, you, you, you adjust. What I try to do with the interviews is be very diligent. So what I would do is I'd send out the, the survey data, schedule a time, I give them the backstory. So if, if you were the interviewer, I'd say, Eric, you know, what do you know about the backstory? Well, you know, blah, blah. so I, I, give the, I give the same backstory. And I said, okay, are you ready? Because I'm going to ask you a bunch of open-ended questions. And then you'd say, yeah, I'm ready. And then I'd say, okay, so what did you think? Well, what kind of context? I was like, you don't get no context. I literally just want to know what you think. Based on the data that you saw, what patterns did you see? And what I learned by that, Eric, is um, I learned that, well, we, I, I didn't learn this. I know this, and we all know this. Every person sees the world differently. What I learned is that there's clear patterns of how we're all seeing this differently. And what I just basically try to do is make a map of people's maps. So that's really what, what, uh, what I, I ended up focusing on. And then that's why we wanted to do panels is let's get people who are like-minded together. And instead of being a community that only fo that focuses so much on where we disagree, let's get people on record of where they agree. Um, and that takes a tremendous amount of energy and it takes a lot of work to create that kind of environment. But so Love it. as we're interviewing people, we're saying, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to a panel. So our first panel, you know, Josie, you sound very similar to, you know, what Mike's saying and what Tamara's saying. Would you guys be willing to have a panel? Here's the catch. I'm going to ask you these three questions. They're open-ended. I'm not going to, you know, moderate you guys or whatever. I'm going to focus on getting you to agree. Mm. That's what I'm going to focus in on. And that's how we set it up. So the goal of the panels were to get like-minded people together hear the richness of their different perspectives because even like-minded people, Josie, Mike, and Tamara are all different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have different backgrounds. They have different ex experiences. And I like to focus on where people's strengths are and say, Josie, talk more about that because I think that's a, a strength Josie has. Mike, talk more about this because I think that's a strength Mike has. Uh, Tamara, talk more about this because that's a strength Tamara has. And I like to concentrate on people's strengths and then say, based on those strengths, let's figure out where, where we agree. And I, I love it. And well, that, that's the peek behind the curtain I was looking for, Scott. We got there, which is you were looking for, how do I listen to these three like-minded folks, find the cohesion, the synthesis and what's being said and reframe it up and get everyone to kind of nod their heads that builds towards a state of agreement. Yes, and I, I'll, I'll add to this, what I've learned through all of this is um, those of us who are in business, you know, yourself, Brian, et cetera, we are really conditioned to give, if, if you give default feedback, 
catch yourself. The default feedback that mm. you're giving is constructive, maybe, but it's critical because that's what we learn to do. Even if you wanted to give positive feedback, you probably wouldn't because you, you don't have the vocabulary for it. Mm. How do you give positive feedback and, and the, the whole everything is skewed against it? And it makes it difficult. So it pushes us into a um, more pessimistic view of things simply because of our own language. And I think if, if, if you do the work to say, here's what the positive thing is, here's uh, where people do agree. Yes, the conditions that we have are subpar, but that doesn't mean innovation isn't happening. Here's what's happening over here in these pockets. These people just don't have the vocabulary to talk about it. I think that's really an important skill that um, sales enablement people need to develop. Uh, and I think it's important because your top reps are doing really well. They can't describe what it is that they're doing. If the whole sales force is going to improve, we need to be able to skill sets to be able to translate, you know, top rep speak and or translate it to your point earlier on, Eric, to be able to translate between finance speak and product speak or product mm. speak and marketing speak or marketing speak and sales speak. We're separated by lots of different tongues sort of like a tower of Babel inside corporations. And I don't think we're doing enough job of trying to listen to each other. One of the things that you and I talked about Scott was, um, and Eric, just to relay this, it has to do with, this is very easy to get into. Okay. It's this step. It's this step. It's this step. But because we, you can probably hear, it's casting a net into the environment to capture reality. Mm-hmm. So the, the first, it was like a series of shakes to shake out um, these perspectives. So for example, the discussion that Scott shared around coming up with the survey instrument. So obviously that has to be scoped and he had a mental model for that. He used the business within a business, but those open-ended questions that became the first shake of reality was people's responses mm. to that survey. Then the second shake of reality came in the interviews that Scott did. And then the third shake of reality distillation, if you will, or getting to agreement or yes was in the panel discussions. And then the final shake is the actual webinar where that's all gonna come into one place. What are, we, mm-hmm. what are we shaking there? It's not where people disagree. It's not where uh, the gaps are and all, you know, uh, uh, you know, we're not shooting on people. We should do this. We should do that. Everybody's, you know, needs to get their act together. It's where do people agree? What, where do people have agreement can go in two ways, what the gaps are and also what the possibilities are. And I guess I'll mm-hmm. add a third, what's working. So when you look at what the gaps are, what the possibilities are and what's working and you shake that through these, these sieves, if you will, you start seeing very clear patterns. But if we had gone in planning all this out, we would have missed them is, is, the, is the big takeaway on this idea of kind of shaking this out. Literally, we're shaking down reality, shaking out reality, following where reality goes, and then it's all going to come into one webinar for an hour, all of this. How many hundreds of hours went into it? It's coming into one hour, right? So that's now, you know, for everybody to to make a decision, do I go to the one hour and is it good? Do I need to have the panel? Great. It's available for you. Go, Go listen to that shake. 
Um, do I need to go take the survey? Go do that shake. That's fine. Um, but all of these are specific outputs that each person builds with each other. Scott, do you have anything you want to add to that? I want to add uh, in the interest of, um, you know, full disclosure about uh, the interview process this morning. So we're recording this on Sunday. This morning, I wrote a thank you uh, post out to LinkedIn. And I want to highlight why I'm thanking, you know, the uh, guest analysts. I asked super hard questions and incredibly direct. So in the spirit of shaking, one of the questions was, so uh, Eric, we can role play this out, okay? Uh-oh, get ready, Eric. Yeah, bring it. All right. Bring it, I love it, I love you it. Read, I'm in you, you read the survey results, we've already had a few, a few questions. So mm-hmm. Eric, I want you to imagine a pasture, a nice okay. pasture. Can you picture that in your head? I can see one out the window, bring it. Okay, perfect. So in that pasture, what I want you to do is imagine there's a hundred cows in it. Okay. Okay. Just nice little cows. And this pasture is, uh, it's neither a great pasture or a poor pasture. It's just sort of an average pasture. Mm -hmm. Now, what I want you to do is based on the survey results and everything, I want you to imagine each cow as a sales enablement leader. Okay. Can you get the picture in that in your head? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, given COVID, how many of those cows are going to the slaughterhouse? Well, I've listened to every minute of what you've done so far, and I believe that's 12% of them. So 12 of them, sir. (laughs) Well, so you have facts, but the point is people (laughs) didn't have those at the time. So fair enough, you know, get people thinking. Yeah. And, um, the, 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 what was interesting about that is it caught people off guard. And I, I played it up more dramatically uh, uh, earlier. And the reason is I like to lean in to the pessimism mm. to see whether or not people are really pessimistic or really optimistic. Can, can I step in there? Yeah. So uh, you can probably see me coming, but I'm a little bit of an optimist. And I'd like to say that the 12% of those cows that were sent out to pasture and off to McDonald's may not have been the epitome of what sales enablement, the definition of, and what good looks like is, which we're all trying to figure out, which is part of what I love about this process is that's part of what keeps me up at night still, even though I've found my identity is what is sales enablement? What does good look like? But the fact is there is good sales enablement out there. And the fact of the matter is that out of those other cows, even they can be lifted up, fattened up, and can crush it even better. So there might be a benefit. There's definitely a benefit to what y'all are doing, but the folks who are excelling in this role, I think the opportunity that you guys are putting a huge spotlight on is there's something good going on here. What is it? Let's, I hate to say the word quantify because I love where we're going with all these open-ended questions, but there is a what good looks like. And my suggestion is that out of that field of the remaining, whatever that is, 78 cows, there are at least five different flavors of meat, all of which are phenomenal for the right company at the right time. 
So what's interesting about that, that process, so let's, let's quit role-playing ourselves and just sort of imagine having had that conversation with, say, 40 people. Okay. How buried those, that, that, that would be. Uh, I had to amend it uh, because some people are vegans and they didn't like the slaughterhouse metaphor. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Right, but think it's about- soybean field. Uh, okay. it, it, soylent green, right, if you're a- uh, <laughs> Oh my goodness, I love you, man. Yeah, you got some people. good cinema in you. You got some good cinema in you. Yep. But at any rate, if you think about like um, um, what that does, first of all, I don't want to, tap into what people think that they think that they should say or think that I want to hear, I want to know what they really think. And in, in order to do that, you have to be able to design the right kinds of questions. And now we're talking about cows, but then we're merging it back into, you know, what, what people really believe in. So what's mm -hmm. interesting is um, in a herd, so you get back to sort of the herd mentality of human beings, um, mm -hmm. people, are wondering who are, are there clicks within sales enablement community that I, I want, not individuals, but uh, types of sales enablement people uh, that I should be, where's my bird of a feather? Is sales enablement too broad? Uh, mm. Or are there maturity stages? Or are some people really fixated on doing things and some people are too strategic? Is there a balance between those things? And what happens is these new patterns emerge by not having that kind of structure. And by, by having lots of conversations, guess what? These patterns that were all, already there in nature reveal themselves. So that's, that's sort of an interesting, an interesting byproduct. We're going to yes. definitely make a call of what these things look like. So Scott, I'm about that. to ask you, I'm about to ask you possibly the most important question of my life in sales enablement. Mm -hmm. um, we started off by sharing that I've had the amazing opportunity to, to step into Christy West's shoes as the president of the Sales Enablement Society of Atlanta. And I'll share that my first chapter meeting was all about identity. Mm -hmm. Who are the people in this room? What is the definition of sales enablement to you, which leads to who are you? How'd you get here? which leads to who are we as a sales enablement society of Atlanta. You just hit on the two things that are driving me right now, not only as a sales enablement society of Atlanta leader, but I have the opportunity right now to be on the horn with the two guys, the two of the core core guys who founded the entire global sales enablement society and wrote the definition. So exactly what you just said, Scott, is what drives me. Two things. What are those five flavors? What are those three-ish levels? How do we define that? And this is where I'm going. What is the entity that brings it all together? And I'm going I'm to answer the question on my own, which is the society you founded is at the core where that will ultimately reside and what you and Brian are doing in the Inside Sales Enablement podcast is driving towards what you all birthed to begin with. Okay, well, that sounds like a declaration. Um, I would say that there would have to be a lot, of, a lot of change in how the society works for that to happen. Um, and I, I think that uh, 
So let's, let's, let's go to what I can answer. Here, here's what I can answer for you. I think step number one that anybody in sales enablement needs to ask themselves is this one simple question. You ready? Scott, you know I'm always ready. <laughs> okay. Well, um, one simple question. Is enablement about making reps better or is enablement about fixing the system behind the Salesforce? It's a choice. You have to Yes. Make. No, it's not yes. You have to make a choice. Mm. One or the other. You'll have to unpack that for me because I think by doing one, the other comes with. The reason that that's, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a focal point is what's your, what's your primary focus? You, if, if, for example, you think my primary focus is to fix or make salespeople better, then your focus will not be on the system. And therefore, you will be concentrating and the scope of sales enablement becomes relatively narrow compared to what other people would do it. Mm, can I be counterpoint? You can, you can, sure. I mean, with my, I, I'm again, I've only got me as a source of authority and my career has been wrapped around the day in the life of a rep. I wake up, I think about what can optimize every minute, every second by the tools, by the ecosystem, beginning with the client in mind. And ultimately, if I'm focused on that, everything else falls into line in my mind if that's where my center is. So maybe that answers your question, but I'm not clear how it does. Well, um, are you focusing on making, uh, on improving the salesperson? Or are you focused on improving the system that the salesperson works within? <laughs> I am focusing on improving the salesperson by improving the ecosystem that surrounds them and enabling them to thrive. So is it your responsibility to focus on the salesperson or is that the sales manager's responsibility? I am in partnership with the sales manager, Scott. So what are you focused then on? It's either, it's one or the other. It's it, it, the amalgam of I'm focused on everything doesn't work. That's mm. why we don't get measurable results. And in, and in that, def, those two definitions, focusing on reps or focusing on the system, both of those help reps perform better. So what's the goal or what's the, what's the, per, what's the focus, Eric? Fix the reps, work with the reps, train the reps or fix the system so the reps get better. You can only pick one is what Scott's saying. Which would you Right, pick? and I'm, I'm leaning 49. towards, fair enough, I'm leaning towards the environment and the systems around them enables them to be better in partnership with the sales managers whose responsibility it is to take that and execute. Okay, great. So I'm not, that's not a right or wrong answer. So now the second question then is, what is the scope uh, uh, that, that you're going to address. So what we find, and I'll help out here more, uh, less of a declarative. So I would say that by focusing on the system, the best word to describe you is an orchestrator. 
I'll take that. So as an orchestrator, that means what you're enabling is basically your value proposition is company, give me money in return for money. I'll give you less as a result. We'll get more results. Like we'll get more. Yes. And because I don't know if you've heard this, but sales is simple. Simple is hard, Scott. Yes. Yes. That's a great quote. <laughs> I heard it somewhere, but, yep. but it's real. It it's is true. It is the investment in making things simpler is worth the freaking investment. And it helps the day in the life of a sales rep. Therefore, a sales manager, they can focus on. So the right Eric, thing. this is where we're like my big illumination of doing this project of where I have not been helping the sales enablement community as much as I could we talk about definitions all we want to. We talk a lot about how to do things. We don't talk about why they matter. Mm, amen. And really the issue here is the, the big hairy problem we've got to confront is that we have organizations that are really comfortable prescribing activities for sales to go do. And a lot of us uh, enable that. And again, I'm using the word interchangeably, enable that by doing things and measuring salespeople. And what that does is it lets us push out more activity and measure reps to more activity, but it doesn't lead to results. What leads to results is less. What leads to results is the environment. What leads to results are architectures. And it, those are hard conversations to have because so much of the company is so hyper-focused on activity. So part of what we have to really, really work on is how do we have those conversations? So what we found is one way to do it is the only way that you can orchestrate is by finding gaps between the sales organization and another organization. So what we found is if you try to pick on too many things at once, like I'm trying to deal with finance, I'm trying to deal with IT, I'm trying to deal with human resources, you're going to be stretched so thin, you're not going to be able to add value. So having a really clear scope around something is important. So what we see emerging, and again, all of this is under the umbrella of sales enablement. Uh, but one flavor or one flavor of beef, <laughs> if you will, Eric, is talent enablement. And talent enablement is about alignment between or driving that uh, orchestration, collaboration, cohesiveness between the sales organization and the human resources organization and finance. And it involves the hiring process, onboarding, um, coaching, development, and evaluation. That's the box. Doing that well mm -hmm. in an architected way, what do you get as a company? You get uh, lower churn, you get higher skills, you get people to hit uh, performance levels faster. And that's how you measure it. You don't get involved in pipeline stuff. You don't get involved in uh, you know, CRM discussions and things like that. That's outside of your scope. That's outside of your box. So that's one flavor. Then there's another flavor or another type uh, called message enablement. And that's working between marketing, product, and sales to stop having such product-heavy uh, information and being more organized, maybe manage or orchestrate the capabilities in such a way that customers can see value more. So that would be message enablement. The third enablement would be pipeline enablement. Let's stop having SDRs, BDRs, demand gen, 
finance, managers, everybody inspecting deals and qualified leads and whether people following in on it. What about the daggone middle of the funnel? <laughs> There's a whole bunch of things that can be done to smooth the whole uh, pipeline process, but it's just not happening because there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and it's not being orchestrated. And then the fourth, uh, the, the fourth area that, we're see, that we see emerge is organizational uh, alignment. So think about this as um, there's a lot of tax on salespeople, uh, pun intended, they're taxed with their time by having to do too much administrative burdens uh, too many systems to, to interface with, kludgy, uh, kludgy interfaces between one thing or the other thing, uh, constant problems with, with uh, commissions, uh, getting, their, getting their quotas on February, you know, at the beginning of the year. There's so many different kinds of things because these various departments who have administrative type activities don't think through the sales reality. So that would be alignment across... Uh, alignment and orchestration and collaboration between the IT department, legal department, sales operations, finance, anybody having some sort of uh, system type thing. And then the fifth flavor that we see, or the fifth type, is commercial enablement. And commercial enablement is really doing combinations of these things, uh, reporting up into the, in, into the COO, COO's office. And uh, we have patterns of uh, examples of each of those. So that's sort of the, the taxonomy, if you will, of, uh, of sales enablement, <laughs> where we are heading into the future. Scott, come on, man. That, that was, uh, okay, if, if you aren't a doctor by now, you just officially, uh, I, I think you were knighted on the fifth episode. You got to go back and listen to it if you haven't. I listened to it. I, you know what? I didn't want to make a big deal with <laughs> only one person voting. Yes. Yeah. There wasn't the, an official no, voting. Only Robert I, Peterson said I was a PhD. And Lambert. I, hey, I did too. I did too, but I have no business. I have no cred. So you got two votes. How about that? <laughs> Thanks. But the point, the point is this. I'm going to call you out a little bit. I'm guessing that at least some of what you just said so brilliantly, eloquently, which by the way, laid out into five, which I think is what my cows were. <laughs> okay. Yep. I love you, man, but I'm guessing that came from some of the research that y'all did on the state of sales enablement and that, that somehow tied together. Oh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Okay. And I don't mind sharing right. this because this is cards. one of the slides in our, uh, in our findings meeting, and this is going to be published. This is recorded before the 519 one, but yes, this will be published after. Well, I, I love it because somehow, Scott, just my take is the stars are aligning. What I just heard was a brilliant answer that is backed by research that has real people involved that took real time, that's real money, as we all know, that stopped and said, hey, I want to do simple. I want to focus and I'm willing to make this investment in this profession, business within a business, whatever anyone wants to call it. And again, I thank you guys for this investment. And just those last 20 minutes were phenomenal and were an answer to so much. Thank you. No, oh, you're welcome. The road to doing that is hard. Just so yeah. clear though. Yeah. And doing it with Scott Santucci, he just makes it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> right, Scott? 
says trailblazer Brian Lambert. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's right. I'm trailblazing. And uh, so, so, together, the Wonder Twins. I love it. Well, Brian, you usually do some takeaways. I got a few of my own, but I don't want to try to steal any thunder since oh, that's good. Yeah, go ahead. Come into the spotlight. Yeah, well, it's actually it. better if this, you know, Eric. The way we look at it, it's better if the host yeah. or the guest steals it. So, what are your takeaways? Outstanding. Put you on the spot. Uh, well, I, I love being on the spot. If you can't tell, and thank you for putting me in the spot, by the way. And that's really kind of my first one is. Thank you not only for having me here and being crazy and courageous enough to do that and curious enough, by the way, um, but for boldly going there, guys. I mean, again, you were in a room back in the day penning an original definition. You started a society that's now global and that, by the way, the annual meeting is going to be right here in Atlanta. So super excited to have you guys come visit. I'm still bullish that we're going to do it. COVID be gone, right? Um, so just thank you for going there and asking, taking an approach that was open-ended and not being afraid of doing that and what it might mean. Eric, thanks so much for jumping in on this and, and helping unpack this. It was really good to hit the pause button and uh, look back at what we did. Uh, this is going to help us move forward. Give us the feedback. Let us know what you think. Also, make sure you check out the website at InsideSE.com. And make sure you uh, go back and, and uh, re-listen to some of those panels and, and share your insights with us. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.